Hello and welcome to the Paranormalist Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dodson, and I'm here with the Paranormalist, Patty Wilson. Hello, Kenny. It's nice to be here again. We are already on episode seven. It's hard to believe. It doesn't seem like that. No, it's like two months worth. Um, so we have been discussing on this show a lot about angels, demons, um, kind of, and ghosts, the kind of the name brand of supernatural, you know? <laughs> so I thought we should take a moment out to discuss some other things. Like we, we did say earth spirit that might've piqued somebody's interest, um, because not many people think that that's real for one and two, nobody knows what that's like. Um, I, I think it's because only like souls, demons and angels are referenced in the Bible. So it stands to reason that people only think those are the things that are real versus bigfoot alien well i mean a lot of people believe in aliens but bigfoot you know earth spirits fairies leprechauns sure why not is leprechauns one sure it's one of them oh okay we're all part <laughs> of the same category okay um so why don't we discuss what category that is well i think that um the reason people don't know much about them is because um western lore particularly American lore, doesn't deal with them. If you go into European, like Irish and English um, and Scottish, you'll see a lot more information about fairies, about leprechauns, about um, elves, about all of that. And the lore goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. And as cheesy as it may sound, the TV show Supernatural is probably one of the very few places in the United States where the serious type of subject is what's actually addressed. They, they paint them as something much, much different than what we see them as because we have the Walt Disney version of the, you know, the seven dwarves and the little um, fairy who Tinkerbell and all of that. But mm -hmm. that's a fictionalized version and not what the um, lore of thousands of years tells us about them. Yeah, Disney did a lot of that, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They <laughs> took a lot of different things and twisted them and made them really cutesy and, and what have you. And it's great for a, a movie or a cartoon, but it doesn't have anything to do with the, the facts of, if you want to call them facts, what the historical lore right. of that particular type of entity is. So <laughs> mermaids, that's my number one thing. It's like you read about what mermaids really are and ain't the same thing as Ariel. <laughs> nope, no That's Ariel sure. singing on a, on a rock with her little seashell bra. Nope. Right. So, um, geez, where do we want to start with these? Well, I think the thing is that most people believe them to be fictional, and therefore they're easily um, ignored and dismissed. Um, but I th they are real. They do exist, um, at least according to many people who have encountered them, and they've encountered them even here in, in central Pennsylvania. Um, I tell a story of a man I know who was concerned that his mother was becoming, um, having Alzheimer's or becoming, having dementia issues and stuff, becoming crazy. And, and he thought this based upon the fact she had begun to tell him that there was this little man who would go behind, come out from the door of the dining room, go out around and into the living room and then dive behind the couch and disappear. And I believe I referenced this in one of the previous podcasts. And eventually, um, a friend of the family happened to be at the house. He saw it. And that's when they began to wonder if it might not be something completely different. Mm. Um, not only that, but almost every culture has its door floor. In Bedford County, there were um, the, the Shawnee Indians had stories of um, a couple different creatures that fall into that category. One was called the Morning Star, um, if you translated it into English. And it was supposed to be an entity that was a shapeshifter. And... Um, it would appear to a man as a beautiful young woman. It would appear to a, a beautiful young woman as a very handsome man. It would kind of woo them and um, convince them to run away with it. And then it would um, meet them and then rip its still, the person's still beating heart out and devour it. So kind of like a siren? Sort of, along okay. the same, same lines as a siren, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then there were the two dwarves that they had. They're kind of a yin and yang set of characters. One was very good and one was very bad. They looked identical. You never knew which one you were getting. Hmm. So if it was standing in between a man and a woman, <coughs> they would each see it differently? I don't know. I mean, nobody okay. ever defined that to me. Um, okay. 
because it, it sounds like you're speaking on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but yes. I'm wondering if it's um, the perception like we always talk about. I apologize. I'm just going to have to cough a minute. <coughs> and then you can edit it out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it is an allergy. It's what it is, and it's driving me crazy this oh, summer. It's allergies? Yeah. It's allergies. My allergies are out of control right now. Like It's incapacitating where I just kind of like lay on the couch and take a nap. And I've stuff. never had allergies like this in my life, yeah. and I have them constantly right now. But you guys didn't know we were going to slip into allergy talk, did you? <laughs> I'm hoping you can edit that part out. Oh, I don't know. I think I might want to keep it. This is the entertainment value portion. <laughs> but anyhow, um, to get back to our subject, there, yeah. I mean, their legends are all over the place um, in every culture. So what? Um, whatever happened with that door story... Did those people get rid of it or do they live with it currently? Or um, the, Well, um, they just sort of had to tolerate it and it didn't appear very often. It, it sort of came, it had a, it ran its course and then it just stopped coming. But there are a couple other such stories I know of in central Pennsylvania area. Um, they just are everywhere and they're not the pleasant little creatures of Walt Disney. They can be um, like like the djinn. Mm -hmm. They can be very fickle. And if you cross them in the wrong way, they can be harmful. Right. Um, now, does this, uh, do they offer wishes? If you catch one, that whole thing? I don't really believe that part of it to be true. I think it might be more of a... Um, Wishful Shemira, thinking? Yeah, Shemira kind of a thing. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Jinn are like the same as genies, right? Yes, but not the same. Again, not the Walt Disney version yeah. thereof. Yeah, yeah. They don't They don't offer any help, do now, they? No, actually, um, the folklore is that God created um, three types of entities um, That he, in this particular instance. I mean, obviously, he created everything. So he created animals and what have you. But he created these three sentient beings or three types of sentient beings. One being angels, which, of course, there are seven different types of and then there are the jinn who were also very powerful um had a lot of uh strengths and could pass in and out through our our, our reality and um then humans and the story goes that god um was he loved his, his weakest creature the most so he asked them all to bow to the humans and to take care of them and the angels agreed and did so out of their love and respect for god the jinn were like no we refuse. We are not going to bow to these weak creatures that are not anywhere near as regal as we are. And mm -hmm. that's what sort of set up that dichotomy between humans and the jinn. They can be, um, they can be helpful. They can actually fall in love with humans and be very helpful. Or they can be indifferent. And at the very worst, they can be deadly. Mm -hmm. There's some really interesting new literature that's come out on that subject in the last probably 15 years um a friend of mine um author rosemary guiley um wrote a wonderful book on the gin and she spent years researching it and she talks about how they don't want their story to be told so they um they create problems and set up barriers for people who try to talk about them too much maybe we should drop it <laughs> I'm just saying. But, um, you know, so that they, they do have that entire thing. And, and the, the fairies can come in various sizes. We always think of them as the Tinkerbell size, but they don't have to be that size. They don't have to be pretty. They don't have to have wings. They don't even have to be female. Um, that's just Walt Disney again. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they they have their own sort of reality, if you will, coming in and out of our realm. But also there's a what they call the fairy realm. Um, and it can be, um, a difficult place to enter and a difficult place to exit and dangerous place when you're there, if somebody manages to do so. Have you heard of anyone that did? I've heard some stories, but nothing that I could substantiate, but there are stories that have passed along for many, many years of people who disappeared that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to say, don't they spirit people away? Yes. There are also many stories of people who were there and then suddenly were gone, almost like, uh, they stepped into a different world. Right. And some of them have returned eventually and um, 
come back and and told these crazy tales that everybody rolls their eyes at and go, you know, I don't know what kind of drug they're on, but we want some too. <laughs> DMT. <laughs> yes. So, you know, but on the other hand, some people have, and then there's some great stories um, in culture as well. You know, if you look back through the history of culture, um, some writers have, have used them as a vehicle or picked up the folklore and and repeated it and have told their stories. You can find their stories if you look for them. Oh, okay. You know what I like about this podcast? It never that... stays the same twice. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it's well, yes, that too. But we kind of um, we're just touching on these things, and these are all going to be an episode later with some sort of expert. I oh, think. Okay. Was that not your plan? <laughs> was, no, you that... you said you said to me today. That was always um, my plan. That you wanted to talk about elves and fairies and. Um, all kinds of elementals and things and so i'm like okay well we'll talk about yeah so we're i'm just saying we're we're on the broad spectrum of these things Mm -hmm. and we're gonna hit like a little little by little but i think that there are probably the experts writers that you're talking about that hopefully one day we'll be able to reach out to and come on here and be like okay this is the leprechaun episode you know what i mean so um that was always my thought going into it about you know I will look forward to, um, hopefully, Rosemary would, would be willing to come and t- or, you know, talk. We'd have to patch her in from where she lives. She lives in a different state. But to talk about her, her experiences with the gym, because she's had some amazing experiences. I've heard her speak on the subject as well as um, have read some of her writings on it. And she's a phenomenal writer and an amazing speaker. And her stories are very disconcerting, to say the least. Isn't she afraid to talk about it? Um, she's... I think she's cautious, but she is very sure of what she's doing. Mm. And, you know, she's kind of like Johnny Zaffis in the, in the demonic world. They, they know their stuff. Right. So she knows what she's doing and she's, and she's very good at it. And she's written, like I said, she's written a wonderful book on the subject. Awesome. Yeah, let's get her. Let's call her up. Um, okay, so these are all types of elementals or are the elementals something completely different? Elementals are completely different. Okay. What are the elementals then? They are spirits that were on earth always that are not human, have never been human, and will never leave the earth. They tend to be um, associated with specific areas. They cut out a territory, if you will, and that's their territory. Mm -hmm. And they really don't care about people other than if we encroach on their territory. And um, there are several different types um, of elementals. Um, one type, it looks, um, at the best I can explain it is it looks like a cousin it. It's short and hairy and very indifferent to human beings. It can be hurtful, but it is not necessarily always so. It basically really just wants, it's once its place. It mm-hmm. just leave me alone. This is my spot. This has always been my place. This is, will always be my place. Get out of my place. Right. Um, we encountered one in West Virginia that was taller and thinner it was about six and a half seven foot tall and it was kind of green and it came out of the forest and it had also cut a territory but the thing that made it much different it was green and brown and um is that it actually seemed to want to make contact with um the person living in one of the people living in the house and it would actually come into the house they lived in the it was a great big house and had a big basement and it was above ground and um so it had a set of uh french doors that you could go in and out from the basement level and the young man was living in the basement at the time running the apartment down there and um this thing would come in at night and stand by his bed and he he was uh very very frightened and on at least five or six occasions um i was there with him um either outside on the little porch where it would circle around the outside of that porch or um you could feel a decided drop in the air when this thing entered the building and it entered the building through the glass so just went right through went it right through um so we ended up having to do some um some basically some prayer work and putting up some um sage and what have you to keep it away and the interesting thing about that one for me because it was the first time i encountered that type is that we found that there were specific types of stones that it didn't like and if you put 
a row of those stones in front of the um, glass doors at night, it would it would stop there and it wouldn't come in. Hmm. Kind of like crystals, but um, different types of earth stones that it, it responded to negatively by I can't cross them. It seemed like. Did you see it? Yes, on three ta- occasions. Now, was it with your mind's eye or your eye eyes? It was with my mind's eye, but the interesting part about it was there was another person was with me and who was a skeptic, and he was sitting with his back to the to the um, little fenced area where it came up through, and I was watching it and talking to the person who had you know told us about it, and. Um, just quite trying to quietly keep an eye on things and all of a sudden the guy jumped up and he rolled around and he said you can feel it you can feel it there is something there and it looked the best I can explain it is it almost looked like a distortion of the air almost like you were looking at something through um, saran wrap and it was just that distortion but it was green and brownish and then it kind of crystallized into something a little more solid but as it was moving up through there it moved very very fast and it moved um and it was this kind of a green brown mass until it stopped and then it solidified into that tall figure now you might find this interesting um i was reading um a series of books um by david david polites who does the missing 411 books i don't know if you're familiar with them or not mm-hmm. but they're about people who suddenly disappear in the woods and he's a, a former police officer and um executive and he has he comes at it from the um organized organized uh, police approach so um his story is basically that um he had been approached by a couple federal park rangers who told him their thing you know you're missing the real story he was there to speak on a subject a different subject and they said you're missing the real story um there's people that miss get missing go missing here and nobody knows what happened to them like they're literally three steps in front of somebody or three steps behind and they're just gone Hmm. and then they turn up maybe a month later in the same spot where they there was 250 searchers and cadaver dogs and what have you and they're laying right there across the path they walked across every day where they were and how they died is is an, an interesting thing. But in his um, one of his most recent books, he did a book on hunters who disappeared in the woods. And there's a uh, optical physicist by the name of Bruce Maccabee, whose wife um, was a hunter, and she saw something very similar to this and got a picture of it. And she likened it to um, Predator. When you see the movie Predator, that thing moving in the trees. With dreads? Yes, that thing. Okay. She's, she said it didn't look exactly like it, but it, it made that distortion of light and space around it in the oh, same fashion. Oh, I get uh, Okay. So like they're, um, yeah, whenever they get cloaked or whatever. Yes. Yeah, okay. And that's what she saw. It's, it's She said if she was in the in the hunting blind, it was um, late afternoon, early evening. She, was, she had a bow with her. She was a bow hunter. And it was on her property, so she was very familiar with the area. The animals were making noises. The birds were twittering normal, you know, woods life. All of a sudden, it was like somebody turned it all off. It just quit. And she got this eerie feeling that she she wasn't alone. And she started to look around, trying to figure out what was going on. That's when she saw it. She had her um, Blackberry with her. And she snapped several pictures. And it was... And the fear was intensifying, so she took off and she ran and she got back to the house. She didn't say anything. And um, they had some guests over that evening. And on the, during the evening, her nephew, who was in high school, a mile away from where she thought, saw this thing, and the entire band for the high school had witnessed um, a UFO on the field, over intermittently above them on the field as they were practicing. And he had told her that. And then after everybody were, were gone for the evening, she said to her husband, I have to tell you something. I know it sounds insane. She described what she saw. And that's when he said, wait a second, I want to show you something. He went and found the movie um, and played that segment where it's cloaked. And she's like, oh, my God, that looks almost exactly like what I saw. And then she said, maybe I have it in the pictures. Um, now, Bruce McAbee is a he's test. He's he's. Um, He's done stuff for um, the the federal government, and he's highly respected. And he began to approach it again. He's an optical physicist, so he his optics is his thing. Hmm. And um, 
he researched it out whether the blackberry could take this picture how it was taken what the pixelation did to all this stuff and um it was eventually convinced that this picture was an anomaly that could not happen but did happen and it did show something um and he approached david polites who knew him and said well you know want to hear this story that's weird about a hunter let me tell you this and then eventually he told him he said this was my wife and we have the picture have you seen the picture it's in the book oh okay yeah and uh what's the book called again it is um part of the four one it's missing 411 series and it's called hunters okay so you can get it there um but it's an interesting thing and it, this thing moved in similar similarly that that wrinkling of space you could tell something was there but you couldn't quite put it together mm -hmm. now was this the one that looked like cousin it or is this a different type? that was the tall green and brownish type that we, we saw okay the other cousin it ones they just kind of are cousin it's they just move and you see them usually out of the periphery of your eyes or in your mind's eye um, and there's some really legit reasons for that because there's rods and cones in the eye and the we know that um that if you look through the corner of your eye, you can see further into the infrared spectrum than you can if you look straight ahead. The military knows that. They even train like oh. snipers and stuff like that to, you know, keep moving their eyes and look through the corner of their eyes because that's where they're going to see the best infrared at night. Hmm. And um, and I actually learned that from a gentleman who was in the military who was trained as a sniper. And he told me, he said, they train us for that all the time. Every time, you know, that's part of the standard training. They teach you that. And... Um, Sorry, I just okay. had this thought in my head about ghost hunters. Uh, if they want to see further into the infrared, <laughs> they they could be looking out the corner of their eye like this instead. Well, think and about just how many people they'd be running into stuff because they can't see where they're going. <laughs> yeah, but think about how many people who tell that story. I just caught a glimpse of it out of the corner of my yeah, eye yeah. when I turned and I looked. It wasn't there. Absolutely, yeah. You hear that a thousand times. I've mm -hmm. heard it literally a thousand times from people. And I've had that experience of catching some motion out of the corner of my eye and I look over and there's nothing there. You look away and you see that flash of motion again. Right. So um, it makes kind of makes sense. And then whenever this gentleman told me about the military, you know, training for night vision and sniping, um, using that as one of the things that they keep their eyes moving all the time. So they're always looking out the corner of their eyes because they'll catch better infrared through the corner of their eyes than they will. And now they have a lot of equipment for that. But even with that, they still train them to be able to do that in case the equipment malfunctions in some way. So, and that's how this thing moved. So are we to assume, I guess that, um, are, are we to assume that, that these spirits or anything that you see out of the corner of your eye, they're blinking in and out really fast? Or do you think they're there, you're seeing them, and if you like really focused hard enough, they'd still be there? Or are they just kind of like, hello, and they're, they're gone? Again. I think it could be a combination of those okay. things, depending on the particular instance. With us, this thing was moving so fast it looked that way. It was coming directly at us, mm -hmm. but it was moving so fast that it was almost a motion blur and in that respect. And then when it stopped, that's, that's when it seemed to solidify and we could see it more clearly. So the skeptic, did they actually see it they did not see it but he they just felt, felt it. it okay he felt there was something behind him that was strong enough that he jumped up and, and whirled around to see what was there okay. and then he got creeped out and he said let's go in the house let's go in the house i don't want to be out here anymore i need to get out of here i need to get out of here he was still mr i don't believe this crap once he got inside the building but he was definitely the first one through the door which is very common yeah that drives me crazy. It does me too, but we're <laughs> as I have stated on this podcast already, <laughs> if he probably believed it at that moment and just wouldn't let himself, and and that's a, a self defense mechanism, yeah, to a large extent, yeah, for most people. And I always tell my investigators, you know, don't push them. Mm -hmm. It is a self defense mechanism. I know what it is. You know what it is. If it's keeps them in a comfort zone where they're they're able to sleep at night, good for them. There's that psychology again. We're going to keep so. coming back to that for everything. Well, it's part of who I am, so yep. I guess. No, yeah. no, no. I, well, I'm saying that other people would probably have been like, no, make sure that it's, they know it's true, you know, and they would have badgered them or something. Um, well, you it's, won't get it's anywhere that with you, that. No, no, I'm, no. But it's good that that's why you're kind of just different from other, other groups and people that we hear about because you have that background. Um, so, okay, so you have that, that one uh elemental mm -hmm. story 
Now, how many of the other things that we that we touched on, how many of them have you encountered? Or is um, it just the earth spirits, the elementals? I've, the elementals I've encountered both types, the, those two types. Now, that does not mean there are not other types. That just means I've not encountered those other types if there are. Some of those little cousin it elemental things, they, like, they seem to tend towards... Um, not all of them, but some of them seem to tend towards water. And we ran into one in Cambria County that um, the particular little creek that was associated with it, there were a lot of accidental drownings, like five or six in a few years. And if you'd have seen the creek, you'd understand why that's kind of doubtful because it was maybe two feet high at the most. And in the summer months, it would have been down to your ankles. Mm. It wasn't a body of water you couldn't have pushed yourself out of, even at its most raging. So this thing, like, have did you see it, this one? This one I saw, and so did um, one of the guys in my team, Charlie. He And then he and I talked about what we were seeing and what this thing was trying to tell us. And it wanted us away from the water. The water was its place. Yeah. Does it know that it murdered people <laughs> i mean are, Again, we, are a, we to assume that that it it does they're amoral about it this you they were in their space yeah um, and that's just what you get is that, i mean if if it's necessary yeah. you know you were in my space that was my place right that's what i protect that's what i do so you weren't that afraid of it as long as you didn't do the water well because i i think probably because i could see it and i knew what it was and i knew how to handle it mm-hmm so those would be the things that I have physically encountered. I have never seen a fairy, I will not lie. So I said I I was careful to say there's a lot of lore on the subject. Right. However, I would like to make one statement. Um, years ago in Gettysburg, um, a friend of mine was teasing another friend of mine who is, he was, uh, he's a ghost hunter, but he's very skeptical and everything else. And very skeptical even as a ghost hunter. Hmm. Um, you know, cause, and that's a good trait to have if you're a ghost hunter. And, um, my friend was, tr- was teasing him and saying, um, oh, you know, you should do EVP and catch the fairies talking because the fairies are always around too, you know, and all of this. And he was laughing and going, yeah, right. Fairies, right, right, right. And he has a DR60, which is a recorder that's very often preferred among professional ghost hunters. Um, it has its faults, but it's really good at capturing voices, just not at high quality. And, um, what brand makes that, by the way? I think that was a Sony. Okay. And, um, I could look and tell you for sure because I have one. And, um, she was goofing off with him. And finally, to appease her, he said, okay, fine, let's do an EVP session with the fairies. And he told me later, he said, he had played it for me. And when you listen to a DR60, they tend to be a very, um, gruff, gravelly kind of sort of sound you, you it's hard to tell um male from females and stuff like that on this because it's just a real it's a really it didn't have any buffers or filters in it mm-hmm. so it's a rough kind of a rough kind of recorder anyway um so the voices are, are sort of deep usually and gravelly and you hear clearly this very high-pitched voice very tinny and it giggles and it says something to him and um, when he played it back, he said, I, I just didn't believe it. I didn't believe you could record fairies on, on the recorder, but he's like, listen to this. And I know he and I have both listened to literally hundreds of EVPs on these recorders. It sounded like nothing I'd ever heard on one of those recorders before. Hmm. Very high pitched, whispery, tinny voice. Does it, well, are, are we to think that they had their own language and that's why you didn't understand what it said? Well, he, I mean, you could understand what it said. It oh, giggled okay. and it and said a couple words yeah. in English. Um, and I'm sure they probably have their own dialect. I mean, according to the lore, they have their own dialects. Okay. But um, it answered him back in English, but very high-pitched, very tinny, very soft, totally different from what you would normally capture from an EVP on that particular type of recorder. That's cool. So that would be my my experience with that concept. But it could easily have been a, a ghost pretending. Possibly. Possibly. But like I said, it didn't sound like... Because you guys like... didn't see any... And you didn't see it or anything, right? No, nobody okay. saw it. But um, it was interesting because it interacted and answered the questions the way the woman asked them. Mm-hmm. 
and um, the voice was extremely different. And when you put it up on, um, like with Audacity or something, and look at the way the the voice pancakes, the layers of voice and stuff, you, um, it was very different from what we normally would see with a, a ghost voice or even a human voice. Hmm. Yeah, I would expect that they're around, also. I think that there's a reason why these things become part of folklore, and that's because there is something to the stories. Mm-hmm. Now, what that something is is always what's up for debate, but there is something that causes that genesis. And if you look at every single culture, you're going to find very similar storylines running through them. You know, um, every culture talks about shape-shifting creatures that kill the living by appearing as um, a beautiful or handsome entity. Every culture has their um, hitchhiker stories. Every culture has their werewolf stories. They have their fairy stories. They have their, you know, their little people stories. Sure. All of that. So it seems to be something that travels through every culture and it traveled independently for quite a long time. Um, where people were not mixing like we do today. They, there was no internet to pass on a story like Slender Man or something like that. Um, so it, it's a really interesting concept that they, they independently all came up with the same things. Yeah. That's what I thought about a lot of different stories. I'm like, okay, this culture had it, this culture had it, this culture had it, and they're nowhere near each other. And not even the same time period sometimes. And, uh, and yet they have the same conclusion. How, how could that possibly be coincidence? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I am skeptical of coincidence sometimes. Well, I think that, you know, you always have to factor in the the possibility of a coincidence, but coincidence after coincidence, after coincidence, after coincidence, you know, because every one of these cultures have these entities and there's so many different entities. What are the likelihoods that they would hit? pretty much all the same entities and describe Mm -hmm. them very very similarly and what they do very similarly and how they're approaching you very similarly and everything is very very close just names might be different like names are different gnome and And leprechaun and they they could all be the same thing yeah yeah but they are very similar when you look at what they're supposed to do Mm -hmm. so you have elementals possibly a fairy what else you got? Do you have gin? Some other things? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of those, all of the above. And fairies, like I said, they range all the way from um, little tiny ones to people that pass among us. They look like people. Yeah. Oh, I mean that you've experienced. Oh, that I've experienced? Yes, yes. No fairies. Um, Except that EVP. The, and that was the second hand I'd heard the EVP. And they told oh, me the story. Oh, you weren't there. Okay. I was not there when they, she did it. Gotcha. Um it's my really good friend of mine and he like that was maybe a day or two later um he said to i happened to go down and visit him and he was like you're not gonna believe what just happened to me so do those two see stuff she does the woman who told him about it yeah but she didn't see it she saw them she said she saw them oh she did and okay. she, i have to tell you she's also one of the most gifted psychics i've ever met in my life oh, okay so there's a good chance you would have seen him too if you were there possibly but um maybe. yeah but and um, but you know he doesn't normally see anything. Yeah. And his his talent is in EVP, and that's right. why she was teasing him about doing EVP. Well, that's a very important fact. <laughs> it is a very important <laughs> that fact. That she saw something. She, she did, saw them. She sees them so, all the time. She says. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, that. Yeah. That makes that EVP make more sense now. Mm-hmm. Not a spirit. And um, I mean, the place they were in was haunted, but we've done EVP in that place a thousand times, and we've never gotten anything that sounded like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I wonder if we should save or touch on uh, monsters as well. It's up to you. Hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking because if if uh, if you haven't encountered any other um, besides the elemental and hearing that fairy story, is that kind of like where you stop those? those yeah, I mean, are... I just bump into them from time to time whenever right. you're doing what I do. You know, every so often something else will happen. Right. And I've run into, um, particularly the Cousin It ones, um, in some haunted houses hmm. as part of the package of what's going on in that house. Oh, okay. Um, but it's not a... Um, Could they be a reason for some of those? They are part of the reason for some of the haunting. I mean, not that they're exactly a ghost, but the building has, like, there's a 
particular building I'm thinking of has a very sinister reputation in the basement of the building. And the reason if everybody's afraid is because there's one of these elementals, these little hairy cousin it kind of elemental things down there. And um, they've uh, captured motion going through. Um, blurs of motion going through very small blows of blurs of motion about three foot tall um, some different ghost hunters that have worked in that site so um, this thing is just attached to that particular property and they built on that property these people and so it's there do they always invoke fear everyone I've ever met because okay. they're not they're not um, like that's their aura or something yeah they're okay. they're kind of amoral about human beings and so you there's a I think there's this instinctual thing. Fear has a purpose. Fear tells us there's something really wrong and we need to be cautious and we need to pay attention. Right. And I think that because they are potentially dangerous, um, innately our, our our hackles go up and, and we, you know, instinctually know there's something wrong. Like that guy jumping up with the one in West Virginia. He right. was sitting there laughing and, t and talking about how this was a bunch of crap. And then all of a sudden, as this thing was getting closer and I'm watching it, out of the corner of my eye because I'm trying not to look at it. I don't want to like do a signal that will tip him off. Right. Now it was dark also. So it would be harder for him to see my eyes in the dark. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm talking to him and I'm talking to this other young man and um, waiting, thinking if this thing comes past the fence, I'm going to have to say something. I'm going to have to say something. And just as it, cr it crossed the fence, this guy jumped up, whirled around and said, okay, I think there's something out there. I think, I half believe you people now. Let's just go inside. And then mm. we got inside and he got calmed down. And then he was like, that was a bunch of crap. So you think that's the vibe that the, the elemental gives off? Or do you think you can feel intent in a way? Do you think it transmits its well, intent? Well, I think we do. I think all predators put out an intent mm -hmm. and instinctually prey feels fear of it as a general rule. And there are some other things that are beginning to come out, you know, like... Um, have you, I don't know if you've ever heard of the, of the people in the trees, the things in the trees. Um, but I've heard stories of those. It was interesting. The first two stories I heard, one came from a seven-year-old little boy who was terrified. Just terrified. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. But there's these great big, we call them Indian cigar trees around here. Um, I think they're called catapoa trees. Um, they are, they have these beautiful big wide leaves. And there were two of these trees in the backyard of this house and the, um, their family dog would, had a pen out there for when they had to leave. And this little boy's job was to run water out to the little dog, to the dog. Okay. And food. And he was seven going on eight years old. And he, and he was, he would take a licking before he'd go out after dark. He kept saying, or at dusk, he kept saying these things would, would, um, come down out of the trees and they would try to touch him, try to catch him. And he was afraid they would get him. And, um, he insisted no matter how hot it was, that the windows be locked, um, the blinds be drawn because they would stand outside the windows and watch him, that kind of thing. Well, about seven years later, I was talking to him and his older brother who was an adult at the time. This little boy was seeing this stuff. And he wasn't telling anybody but his mom because, you know, he didn't want his brothers to pick on him. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, I might as well just tell you, it was my son, my youngest son. Oh. And it was our house that we lived in. And my oldest son, who parked out back there under those trees, near those trees, um, we were telling, talking and telling stories one night. And he started talking about seeing these shadowy figures coming down out of the trees and how one night... He got out of the car after he got off work. He would have been about 19. And something grabbed his ankle from under the car. And he's like, you never saw me stomp so hard in my life. I stomped. I pulled my foot back in. I pulled the car up around front. And that's when I quit parking out back, Mom. Do you remember? Well, I did remember him doing it because it was became inconvenient for me. Because yeah. he took my parking place. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I, I had never found any references to them until recently. I have found, um, I've kept an eye out because... The both of these boys independently told me about something similar, and my youngest one called them the the, the men in the trees, the hmm. people in the trees, and um. So he he saw these things for, like almost a decade. He still sees them, if he's out at night. In fact, we were he was seventeen. We were living in a different house, uh, about ten miles from where the first place was. He saw him, 
and him and a friend were out walking hiking in the woods and it was about 9 30 at night they come barreling through that door like you wouldn't believe i'm really glad it was unlocked i think they would have gone through it they mm. were that fast and um his friend was like, are they after us? Are they still after us? Are they still after us? And I'm like, what happened? I thought they got chased by like maybe a cat of some sort or a bear or something. And maybe a coyote because we do have coyotes in this area now. Mm-hmm. And his friend's eyes were as big as saucers. And Ben said to me, you know, it was the people in the tree, mom. They they saw us and it started to get dark. And I kept saying, we need to go. We need to go. And as they were coming down out of the woods, it was middle of summer. So about 830 starts to get dark. These things started coming down out of the trees to follow them, and they were chasing them towards the house. And the other boy saw them. That's what I found impressive because the other boy was... The one that's not sensitive? Yeah, he was validating. He could hear them crashing. He could see them. Oh, my God. And they scared him. And but since then, I have found um, four or five other references to people seeing something very similar. Um, so his his name for them is people in the trees. Yeah. That's what they what are... They, oh, okay. Nobody, I don't have, everybody has a different description, but it all boils down to basically they see figures in the trees that come down and they climb down head first, like they've defied gravity. Like we would drop down feet first. These things seem to be able to latch onto the tree and somehow move and climb down head first. Hmm. And they move very quickly. They're dark shadows and they move among the, the leaves and the branches of the trees and then um, come down eventually and try to get you. I think I know the answer to this question, but I have to ask it anyway. Where was this that all this happened? Here in Bedford County. (laughs) Okay. Why? Because I was hoping you weren't going to say it was where we live. (laughs) Now I'm I'm going to be frightened of the trees. It was about uh, 12 miles from here. Oh, okay. So that makes it better. I'm safe in my house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I've, like I said, I've had several experiences with that. So what those like, that's why I say I'm not sure that I, you know, I don't know everything and I don't certainly don't know every entity that might be out there. And that right. was one we encountered here. And I have seen stories from other places now of very similar entities. Some of them even call them the shadow people in the trees and stuff like that. Can he tell me where I'm not supposed to be hiking? <laughs> I can tell you later. <laughs> okay. Cause that's, that's really what I want to know. Okay. I guess where, where am I not to take my kids? Um, I didn't know this was going to turn down that path of now you're going to see me being afraid. Um, okay. So yeah, no, we'll save, we'll save the monsters for another episode, I think, because we're getting relatively towards the end here. Um, now this is kind of turned into the elemental episode. (laughs) I wasn't expecting to turn this way, but, um, I keep saying turn this way, whatever. Anyway. Um, you told me a story on my podcast that I would like you to tell me again, because I have a story to tell you in relation to it that I, that I did not think about in that moment. Um, okay. So on my podcast last year for PA traveler, that's Mm -hmm. my other thing. Um, you said there was one time where you felt so much fear that you had to leave. Can you tell that story? Yes, I was in a cemetery outside of Tyrone. It was the middle of the afternoon. Also central Pennsylvania. Also central Pennsylvania. We're in a very haunted place. (laughs) And the reason I was there was because one of my girlfriends, um, she had a stepson who kept coming home late. and, And he was insisting that they were all hanging out in this cemetery, which is back in the woods. And that it was because it was haunted. She thought it was because they were back here doing drugs and partying. Yep. So one night she decided that she was going to go back in there with her husband and they were going to sit in the van way back in the back and just wait. And she saw as the afternoon wore on towards evening, a older gentleman in the bottom corner of the cemetery, which would have been the oldest part of the cemetery. The man had on bib overalls and work boots and a shirt. And he was hunkered over a grave like he was tending to the grave, like pulling weeds and what have you. And then he stood up, dusted off his knees and walked up through the rows of graves towards the um, storage shed, which is supposedly the place that's haunted, supposedly a previous caretaker committed suicide by hanging himself there. And as she was going through, watching him go through the cemetery, it dawned on her there was something extremely wrong with this picture. And then as she... A couple seconds later, it it hit her finally. He didn't walk around the tombstones. He walked through them, literally through the tombstone. 
as he approached him. So that's what took us there. She was telling me the story. She's like, let's go out and check it out. It's four o'clock in the afternoon, middle of summer, hot. We pull in with the van. There's like a, a circular driveway. And we're down in the, towards the bottom section of the cemetery, the older section. And there's this uh, fence row and it's overgrown with bushes and shrubs. And I get out of the car and I'm expecting to just walk around a little bit with her, check out some of the older graves and stuff. Nothing's going to happen because it never does when somebody tells you it's going to. (laughs) It's just the way it works. And all of a sudden I had this intense fear. Like I knew I needed to get out of there. I was not supposed to be there. My hackles in the back of my neck went up. My hair was bristling. I just had to go. And I said to her, um, her name was Becky. I said, Becky, let's go. Becky, let's just get going. And I took off at a dead run and ran around the van, opened the door, slammed the door and got in. She took off running and she jumped in the car and she looked at me and she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, can't you feel it? And she said, Oh, thank God. I thought it was just me. And then we took off out of there. I don't know what it was, but it was this really intense feeling of get out. Yep. You want to hear my part? Yes, I do. Okay. So when we were doing our podcast, I was so caught up in the holy crap, earth spirits are real because that was your, you, you, I I said, what was it? And you said, I think it might've been an earth spirit. Um, and I went, that's real. And I wasn't thinking. And then like months after we had released that, mm-hmm. I realized I've been there. I've been to that cemetery in Tyrone. Mm-hmm. Me and a, and a bunch of friends went there and um, we heard the story. There's always the story about if you pull under the tree, you can hear the guy swaying across the hood of your car. So we went and we pulled under the tree and and I was all game for this because, you know, I'm into this stuff and whatever. Suddenly, an intense amount of fear rushed over me. And I said to my buddy, we have to leave. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why? We just got here. And uh, and I wound down the window and I said to my other friends in a different car, we're leaving right now. And they said, why? And I said, I don't know, but we need to go. And we took off. And I didn't realize that at the time, you know, I hadn't really experienced a lot of the feeling stuff, Mm -hmm. but I was the only one in the whole group that felt it. And uh, something came over me that I just knew we had to leave. It is this most intense feeling of get out. Yep. And I totally forgot about this until like a long time after you told me that story and it just like hit me suddenly. I'm like, holy crap. I had that same experience. And I've had other people contact me about that cemetery. I don't say the name of the cemetery because I don't want anybody to go in there and vandalize it. And that's a real sad issue that happens these days. People figure out, you know, where some place is at and and then they try to damage it. So I won't say where it's at. There's a lot of cemeteries around Tyrone area. Um, Well, someone mentioned that to me uh, at another point and I said, don't go there. Yeah. It, because, it, it's yeah. very frightening whenever it, it, it's an overwhelming fear. Like you just want to run. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there a possibility it could be that guy? There's always the possibility. Do you think but, it's too much? I mean, but, could could his um, his aura from his whatever caused him to hang? Could could he be that angry? Well, here's the interesting part about that. I would have thought when she saw him, that would have been their their feeling. Yeah. And You're that right. wasn't, she said nothing about that feeling. She's like just in awe of the fact that there's, and her and her husband both saw it. Saw this man walking through the tombstones as he was headed back towards the work shed. Because mm-hmm. um, that's why we went there. Different. We went there for that guy. Yeah, this was completely different. It's cool to know that he exists. <laughs> well, At least. <laughs> I mean, and I, and I can't tell you that I've ever researched it out to the point where I could um, tell you who he was or anything like that. But um, it's interesting. And, um, you know, I think sometime we should actually talk to, there's a gentleman who um, does research and he has a, his own radio show, but he did research on um, the, the um, buckhorn and he actually figured out who the woman, like, woman of the buckhorn is. Is he the one that he posts on Paranormal Asylum a lot? Sometimes he does, yes. Once again, that's Patty's group that she started on Facebook. It's called Paranormal Asylum. The Paranormal Asylum. Yes. 
And, um, but he does. And, and one of his first posts was actually about that. He had, um, read one of my books and had contacted me to talk about, um, these white woman stories. You know, it's an entire classification of ghosts called white women. Mm -hmm. And, um, he was fascinated with the buckhorn and what have you. And then afterward, he said to me in private, I just need to tell you, I think I figured out who she is. And he sent me reams of research. This man put tens of hours, maybe hundreds of hours into this. And um, he came up with um, a very good possibility, a woman who fits the time frames, who died on that place and in very similar circumstances and everything fits. And it was after her death that the first sightings began to be spoken of. He'd be an interesting person to talk to. Yeah. Did he write it down in a book or anything? He just he just uh, does or, it on his podcast. Or are you going to write the book? No, because it's his research. <laughs> that would, I feel like that would be plagiarism without his permission. No, no. I mean, yeah. would you ever do something in conjunction with somebody else like that? Yeah, or? I've written with Mark and I would write with um, right. other people. Um, yeah. But because um, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. But um, I would definitely want to make sure he got all the credit because he did all the work. And that was a lot of work. But yeah, he's one of the people who posts on the on the uh, pod on my uh, website from fairly frequently. And that was his very first post. I asked him if he would mind sharing it. And he said he wouldn't. And so that was the first thing he put up. Hmm. Awesome. And he only put a little percentage of what he had up. He sent me the entire file, which was huge. Yeah, I think um, uh, if you want to check out the podcast of Patty and I that I posted from last year, um, our first thing together, then you can hear that whole white lady story. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about it, um, but it is really cool on this episode to talk about that there is something backing this, a white lady story, mm -hmm. because I kind of always thought they were kind of, eh. You know, right. just because there are so many of them under similar circumstance. Are. So I'm like, yeah, it's just copies. And those are also when we talk about things that everyone has, mm -hmm. there are white lady stories or hitchhiker stories from all over the world. Yeah. But this in this particular instance, much like um, there's one in out in Chicago that's very famous, the Bachelor's Grove story. Um, he has some information to back it up. Awesome. Mm hmm. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Are there any other stories you got of <coughs> anything not related to the, the mainstream? Well, there's all kinds of stuff that's not related to the mainstream. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My whole life is not related to the mainstream. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, this feels like a good stopping place because it's... Yeah. But we're only uh, 50 minutes in instead of an hour, so I'm like... Well, I will tell you a story um, that I heard... Um, this past week and um there is a a um author and um blogger by the name of steph young and uh she passed this story on and she does a lot of this kind of research and she did some research in we've all heard the story of the pied piper and the how the rats were in the little town and how he was paid by the government to take the rats away and then they wouldn't pay him the money after the rats were gone into the river because they figured they didn't have to. The rats were drowned. So it was all good. And um, so then he comes back and he says, fine, if you won't pay me the money, then I'll take your children. And she said she had always been fascinated with this story. And so she um, detailed some research she did that it, this actually is a true, based on a true account from Germany from I believe the 1200s and there were no rats in the original story that sort of became part of the narrative when it was fictionalized but that this guy came to town and basically held the town hostage and said you know give me this amount of money or I'm going to take your children and he played the flute and he led them into what they described as a hole that opened up in the side of the mountain and the children were never found like a, he opened a sinkhole like a hole in the side of, like it just opened like up it was already there no, it wasn't there. It, it oh, just opened. Okay. It opened up as he was playing the pipes, and they were following him. And he walked into the hole, and they walked into the hole, and it closed behind them, and it was they were gone. Who is this? Her name is Steph Young. I really enjoy her work, um, and this is something she has unearthed, and she shared on a podcast. So I wanted to pass it on, but I also want to pass it on with credit to who it belongs to, because yeah. she's just the one who did all the work. Sure. No, but who was the guy? They don't know his name. Oh, um, okay. It was just a story, and it was written down by um, 
some priests and uh, the governor of the region and different people that were fairly reputable. I mean, people you would honestly believe. And right. it was repeatedly written down um, and told very much the same way and in these old documents hmm. that she unearthed. Where'd you get them from? She did a lot of a research and like, and like, found them in like archives and what have you. And they were letters and 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 um, what have you that were archived in different places. And she began to pull the stuff out and and I has to I cannot imagine how painstaking that had to be. And then sure. had it all translated and then found out that this is what it really meant. You know, I've always wondered about that because that's one of my favorite parts of like if I wrote a horror film. That's one part that would be in it is that somebody goes to the library and they flip through all the old articles and all that stuff and they find out, you know, where it is. Is that is it that easy where you can go and and find this stuff in a public place or do you really have to like I mean, what how do you even go about doing that type of research if it's not in newspapers? Well, um, the internet's made it a lot easier, but mm. also a lot more convoluted in some respects. But um, sometimes you have to write to historians and you have to write to historical societies and um, explain what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I always call them the lady that knows everything. Usually every historical society has a lady that knows everything. So if you can get to the right region or near the right region and start following their clues, they'll start telling you you know, you need to do, go talk to so-and-so, go to go check out this archive. And it becomes, um, an issue of all of, of literally just inch by inching along. It's, it takes a long time. When I did, um, the Ben Carter research mm -hmm. that took almost seven years start to finish. And, um, it was painstaking and we would never have gotten the last bits of research done if it hadn't been that, the story suddenly burst into the public view and then the state historian of texas finally gave us the last pieces that were in the state archive we couldn't get to yeah that's going to be its own episode so so i mean research is 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 once in a while you get really lucky and sometimes you just fall into something but um sometimes you start tracing it down to where did this come from ah that's where it came from but where did they get it and then you just start working it backward yeah it's almost like police work it is. It's crazy. <laughs> it's kind of like a forensic um, investigation. You're you're cold casing it right. all the way back. They should hire you guys. I'll tell you what. Some of the researchers are really, really dedicated, and they will put years and years into a story until they figure it out. No, not every day, all day long. Obviously, they have jobs and lives. And I was gonna say they don't make anything off of this unless they write a book or something. Right. right? Yeah. But um, sometimes it's just the need to know drives you forward. Sure. That's awesome. That, yeah, like I said, that's my favorite part when they have that montage of I, research. <laughs> I have this hard time you knowing when it's enough. You probably hate that. <laughs> no, actually, I, I have a hard time knowing when it's enough because the research fascinates me and takes me in areas I didn't think. If you would look at an outline for one of my books before I write it and then what it looks like when it's done, 60% of the book is different. Because as I'm going along, I go, hey, there's a really cool story. Hmm. I like that better than this one. I'll just bump this one out of the way. Or, dude, I never expected it to go to that direction. Let's go over here. So by the time it's all done, my editors have kind of gotten used to me. So they just tolerate it. And they're like, okay. There's still a few stories in there you promised. Yeah. We'll get the book when we get the book. It's fine. <laughs> it's good. It's all good. I try to get them in on deadline. But, you know, it's well, the research has a life of its own. And it's fascinating. And the hard part and the trick to being a writer is knowing when you got to stop. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing with filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Like we can be in the edit for ever and ever and ever and ever and constantly change stuff over and over. Um, and at one point we just have to go, okay, we're done. You know, because yeah. uh, like there's a, a saying in Hollywood that a movie's never finished. And it isn't. It I really think it's isn't. that way with a, with a book. Um, up to a point because like I remember my my um, favorite editor said to me you just have to know when to let go it's like a child you have to let it walk mm -hmm. but then you're going to have another book with possibly those stories you pushed out so and, and, yeah and it's not like they're lost like starts... a movie once it's done like once you release it like you're never going to be able to do anything again yeah so now, once I, and, and the other thing that's interesting is people always ask me this and it frustrates me because I don't have a real answer and it's, what's your favorite book? And it's the one I haven't finished yet. Makes sense to me. Because it's where my passion is. The right. other ones are all done 
they're grown ups and they're on their own now. And I still love them, but they're all on their own now. And I can't go back and do anything else and play with them. So. Well, they're about to be reincarnated. Some of them. Right. Some of them. Yeah. We have four. Do you want to plug that real quick? Um, yes. Um, Haunted Pennsylvania, Haunted West Virginia, Haunted North Carolina, and the big book of Pennsylvania ghost stories as of now are getting re-released. New covers. Um, some of the... The Haunted series will have some expanded content. I've written some new stories for each of the books. And they're from Globe Pequot, and they'll be released um, late this summer, early the, in the fall. So if anybody's interested in, and I think some of the stories that we chose for the um, new content were amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to that. Go buy her books, everyone. <laughs> oh, bless you. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse me. All right. Um, well, this has been a fun episode. We've learned about some things, like I said, that that you don't see in the Bible, which is uh, things that I didn't know existed for real. So I think that's really fascinating. But um, we'll touch on some of Patty's research work in the future. Um, and that's it for now. So long. <laughs> <laughs>